Hi everyone, and welcome to Happy Paws, presented by FearFreeHappyHomes.com. Happy Paws is a podcast by pet lovers for pet lovers. We take a scientific and evidence-backed approach to helping you understand your pet on a deeper level. This episode will be the first in an ongoing series we're calling Trainer Talk. Lori Chamberlain, education manager for Fear Free and accomplished trainer in her own right, joins us to explore just what is a good dog, what we can realistically expect from our pet's behavior, and how to set your dog up for success. Lori, you're my very good friend, fellow trainer. So excited that we get to do our first ever trainer talk together today. I am super excited for this. Man, it's been a long time coming, hasn't it, since we've been talking about doing a podcast together and our our dogs together. And we, we kind of have this long-standing joke about our problem child dogs who aren't really problem children. So I would love to dive into this and talk about that. So you are the one that came up with this topic, which is basically what is well-behaved anyway? Like we all have different ideas of what it is and different standards for what we may expect out of our dogs. But what does that really mean? What does it mean to have a well-behaved or well-trained dog? And just how that can be so different from person to person. So tell me, how, how did you, by the way, that's Bones licking my face right there. <laughs> he's, uh, he's definitely, he's, he's my good child. He, they both are good children, but he's definitely the one that's a little bit easier going. And Otis is my so-called problem child, which I'm sure we'll talk a lot about him today. And I know that you have the same with the one that's a little bit easier going and, and kind of your model child. And then the other that gives you a little bit more trouble. But so is was this a personal thing or how did you like think about this topic? Well, I'd be lying if I didn't say it wasn't a personal thing. <laughs> it definitely. <laughs> um, so my problem child, Brio, uh, she, she barks, she steals, she counter surfs, she chews flip flops, even at five years old, she jumps on me, she raids the garbage if I don't keep it locked up like Fort Knox. So by many people's definition, she is not well behaved in the traditional sense of being well behaved. But um, I got to thinking about like, what is well-behaved anyway? So for Brio, I'm able to trim her nails without her being stressed. Uh, she'll voluntarily offer me each one of her paws, depending on which one I ask for. She can happily ride in the car. She can be comfortable in a crate, you know, at ease without me being at home. She can travel with me. She's comfortable around dogs and people. Uh, she gets along great with my other dog. And she loves visiting the vet, which obviously for me as the education manager of Fear Free, it's super important that my dog loves visiting the vet. So she's tra trained for a voluntary blood draw. So that just kind of got me thinking like, you know, from an outsider's standpoint, a lot of people ask me when they find out I'm a dog trainer, like, oh, your dogs must be so well behaved. And I'm like, well, define well behaved. <laughs> Tell me what you mean by that. So, um, I just would love to dismantle the notion that in order for a dog to be considered well-behaved, that they have to, you know, obey us 100% of the time and come when called all the time, no matter what distractions are out there and, you know, always sit when they're greeting somebody and never pull us on leash and never bark. You know, I think it would be so freeing for not only the dogs, but for the owners, if we could kind of start to pick apart, like, 
what does well-behaved mean? And I think it's a very individual thing. So I would love to kind of unpack that with you today. So that's kind of where the idea came from, looking at Brio and the behaviors that I've taught her and the behaviors that she displays and what does it mean to be well-behaved? Gosh, there's so much that goes into that. I, I think that one thing I think of immediately is that like standard of perfection. And I, I know that as someone who my dad admittedly would, you know, have me call the teachers if I had an A minus, I was an all A kind of student and yeah, these, it was just like tragic. And, you know, you sure you want to keep going in school? And, you know, I, I definitely grew up a perfectionist and, you know, I, I credit my dad for pushing me hard, but also, I mean, it, it really was tough. It's tough to grow up with that standard of perfection on yourself, with the way that you look, the way that you talk, the way that people perceive you, the way that you are successful in the world's eyes. And honestly, it's a, a recipe for disaster because it really gets you, you know, disconnected from your true self. You have so much pressure, so much stress that I actually think it made me worse at what I did. It made me less comfortable with who I was. And one of the greatest things as an adult is growing into this just place of grace with myself. And I think that as I've evolved as a trainer and a, a behavior consultant professional, it's also gone also towards dogs, like giving them more grace, like not putting so much on myself. Because I think before, especially as I was first getting into training, it's like, you know, how my dog behaved was a reflection of me as a trainer or as a person. And I think that pet owners feel this as well. They take their dog out on a walk and they have a reactive dog. It's like, oh my gosh, I'm the bad owner. I'm at fault here. And so there's this level of shame. There's this just almost embarrassment of who you are as a person. But I, th I think that what you can see, whether it's with a trainer or a pet guardian, is that there's so much variety in people, so much variety in dogs. And, you know, it's like being perfectly imperfect and having these pets that, that are really perfectly imperfect for us. And I think a lot of it is really looking at their emotional well-being, looking at safety and looking for a, a, both the physical and emotional well-being for both the pet and the people that are involved in that situation. And so I've come to that place and I, and I definitely am trying to help my clients get there too. So I, I'm definitely excited to talk more about that. Yeah, I love that. I love that, you know, you picked up on that standard of perfection isn't helping anybody. It isn't helping the dogs. It isn't helping us. And I too, you know, as a fellow trainer, I have clients who feel like they're doing something wrong if their dog didn't come when called when there was a squirrel around or they're like, oh, I know he's supposed to come every time. And I'm always like, no, there's no there's no supposed to like, you know, you it's up to you which behaviors are important to you. And it's and to me, it's all about not so much which behaviors we teach our dogs, but how we teach those behaviors. Mm -hmm. That's really important. Um, so I know in a lot of the traditional training circles, there's the concept of proofing the behavior and, you know, the dog should be able to do it anytime, no matter what's going on. And with gunshots going on in the background, you know, any level of, and that's just, that's not realistic for most dogs and it's not kind for most dogs. And I think, you know, when we put those standards onto them, it's like, who, who is this really for? Like the, this notion of they have to do it every single time or else. So there's that, there's always that implied or else in there. And mm -hmm. I think with the style of training that, that you and I do, Mikkel, you know, the 
clicker training, positive reinforcement, um, lots of choices involved for the dog, lots of control given to the dog rather than us taking control from them. Um, I think that really helps to shape us in terms of what we feel is important for well-behaved. So for me, um, I know, you know, everyone's, everyone's well-behaved is going to look a little bit different. Some people allow their dogs on the furniture, some don't. Some people allow their dogs on the bed, some don't. Um, so, sometimes it's okay to jump on you. What about jumping on guests? You know, the, everyone's, everyone's list looks a little bit different. And I think like, I want to empower pet owners to really understand that that's okay, that you're different, that your list looks different from your friends or from mine or from yours or, you know, that trainer down the street. So I think really thinking about, like, as you said, the emotional well-being of the pet and what, which behaviors are going to really help empower that is what we want to think about when, because we all have lots of choices on what we teach our dogs. Like we, we can teach them to sit and lie down and heal on leash. Um, we can teach them to do a cooperative nail trim. There's, there's an everything in between. And I think like, I love the notion of just freeing up people and the dogs from that perfectionist mindset. I think you, you were really great to point that out. I, I think so much about our dog, Otis, uh, he's a little rescue. You've been with us on our journey since we first got him, where he went through, we were his fifth home by seven months of age. He's definitely our little hot mess and he's come a very long ways. But, you know, one of the things that we struggle with the most is, is even house training. Like I've, I've come to get a more realistic expectation for Otis. Like for most dogs, it's like, I want them hundred percent house trained. You know, that's the goal. But, you know, with Otis, literally he, you know, the confusion in his poor mind where he was litter box trained, potty pad trained, just not trained at all and, and had to wear a diaper, also had really severe separation anxiety and just a lot of generalized anxiety that caused him to be stressed. And for him, his potty issues, I, it's not only the confusion and that lack of consistency growing up, but also this underlying anxiety. And so... You know, for me, it's being able to see things like when he is having accidents, he'll go for, and this is a pattern for him, he'll go for weeks without having any accidents. And then all of a sudden he starts to get anxious about something and it's almost always poop accidents, but sometimes everyone will have potty. But like this last week was unusually difficult where he had gone for period of months where he hadn't had any. And I was just saying, gosh, Otis is doing really well. And then all of a sudden we have three poop accidents uh, actually what, actually let's correct that. There, there were six poop accidents in one week because one time it was in Reagan's room three times and it was out of underlying anxiety. He was starting to panic. And part of it for him, as I think back on what, what was going on that week, I think of, okay, we had a, like a tremendous amount of rain. It's uncomfortable to go outside, but people are starting to go outside more as it's starting to be summer. He's very fearful and reactive towards other dogs, towards other people, towards squirrels, literally anything outside of his familiar family or friends that he's gotten used to inside of our house. So really the home is his comfort zone, whereas outside is really scary. So it's asking a lot to get him to go outside. And most of the time he will go outside, that's his preference. But when he's starting to feel anxious and upset, and as Reagan and I just got over COVID and the flu, and we weren't taking him out on walks as much because we both were so sick, 
you know, it makes sense. Okay, here's why, why, you know, he's probably having more accidents. Also, Reagan's, Reagan is leaving today to go for two weeks of her first part of her summer visit uh, to see her family in Texas and uh, the other part of her family. And, you know, for him, he's so connected with her that he notices little changes like her packing her bag or, you know, he can pick up on when things are changing. And so for, for me, it helps me to not feel so frustrated or so disheartened to be like, oh my gosh, I've put in so much work. Like, why are we regressing again? It's like, okay, here's what's going on. It's like, I feel like it's like being able to have compassion for them in that moment. Here's what's going on. Here's what I'm going to do to resolve it. So we've been going back to the basics again, where doing that, that a lot of supervision, a lot of taking him outside, being right there to treat him, trying to make that outside place a little bit friendlier and happier for him. And, you know, not letting him just have free reign of the house again. We have to backtrack, just starting to give him more freedom as he proves able to handle that. And if he can't, we'll just, you know, backtrack, set him up for success, not put him in over his head. And I, I think that's a big piece of, of doing this with our dogs is not giving them more than they can handle and, and really trying to promote those positive behaviors. I love that. Um, I I can so relate to everything you're saying too with Brio. I love the fact that you just show compassion for Otis instead of blaming him, instead of beating your head against the wall saying, why isn't he potty trained yet? I mean, for God's sake, what's it going to take? Instead of doing that, you're looking at, well, why is he having potty accidents? So for me, with my little girl Brio, um, she also is a high anxiety dog. She has a, a lot of anxiety just in general. And her anxiety manifests itself in barking. So um, for me, there's, I look at it not as how do I stop this dog from barking, but I look at it as what is causing this underlying barking and what can I do to help her feel more safe, more successful, less anxious. So we do things like, you know, close the blinds at certain hours of day when I know that there's going to be people and dogs walking by. Um, we have, uh, you know, I'll take certain routes when I walk that are less traveled, that, that will have fewer people and fewer dogs in favor of her. Um, just times of day playing around with what she gets exposed to when, but really having that empathy for the dog and saying like, I, I understand you're barking, but I know it's because you're, you're anxious and what can I do about that? So even in our case, we even, um, with our veterinarian, we have a plan for some calming medication for Brio, so we brought that on. We have some calming supplements on board as well, so um, that has really made a huge difference for her uh, in reducing her barking. But just like with Otis, your goal isn't perfection. So my goal isn't to have a dog who never ever barks. My goal is to reduce the barking in certain situations, um, but really looking at it as how can I see that the behavior is a problem for me, but it's not a problem for the dog. So what it, what is causing that behavior and what can I do on my end to help you feel better? So I really love that you pointed that out. And, and I think so much of the time, it's so easy to forget how far we've come. I, I don't know if you have some, I'm sure you remember where Brio was. And I remember from sometimes being on our Zoom calls together. And just now you have quiet. It's very Zen over there. And before it, it was a little chaotic when she was really, really feeling her oats, as you say, like with a horse, <laughs> where she was definitely, definitely a lot more vocal. Yeah. So one, um, one of the things that I figured out, one of her cues was me talking on the phone or 
just talking in general. I think she thinks it's weird to see her mother walking around the house talking seemingly to nobody. <laughs> and I think that was somewhat anxiety provoking for her. So for a long time, yeah, every time I would get on a Zoom call or a phone call, we would hear this bark, 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 crazy barking in the background. So what I did was I, I set her up with a Kong for this. Um, and, you know, that's always, I think, giving the dogs an alternative behavior to whatever the problem is, is always a, a great step. But, and then I did things like practiced talking for no good reason, and then just feeding her treats as I was talking so that ta my talking didn't become a predictive cue for she starts to bark every single time. And we still have moments. I mean, I can't guarantee you that you won't hear any barking at all. <laughs> uh, we, we still for sure have our moments, but uh, there's been a huge reduction in it just when I think about when the barking is occurring and why, and really identifying that, you know, my talking was a cue for her barking. I love that. Well, I can definitely notice a big difference. And I love that you really met her where she was at and gave her those better outlets. And, you know, with Otis, sometimes like when we're in the heat of the moment, and maybe we do feel frustrated because there is a situation that we're, we're dealing with with our pet, it's really easy to lose perspective. And I think that's where like being able to journal like, okay, or even like having video recordings of our pets when we first start on a training plan is so helpful. And like with Otis, for instance, while it was very frustrating to have gone for, for weeks without any accidents and all of a sudden we have, you know, six accidents in one week. And for him, as Reagan and I were talking about it, remembering back, I have some of, of the journals and videos of what happened with him. When we first got him, literally it was, multiple accidents a day, both, both, both types of elimination. It was, you know, probably two or three a day, even with really good management. So to, you know, as frustrating as it feels sometimes where I'm like, gosh, we're still having accidents, like how we've come so far to, you know, overall have no potty accidents, you know, and then when I do start to see it, it's like, okay, that's my cue. Something's going on. Like, you know, what is he uncomfortable with? What's really going on out there? And, and, you know, another thing too, is our neighbors are, are outside more. They're having, parties or having lots of people over. And for a dog that you know, is very fearful of new people until he gets used to them, new dogs until he gets used to them, that's that's a lot of stress. So it's like asking him to go potty in those situations, that's a, a really big ask. And so you know, I'm trying to take him out on even more walks to give him those potty breaks and other places where maybe he does feel more comfortable. And my, my other goal is really to make that outside place that happy place because you know as much as I, I want it to be his happy place and I actually have barriers on the side of the of the fence so he can't see through you know he's it still is a little scary for him so i'm thinking okay we're going to do some training sessions some play outside just some snuggle time like you know trying to turn that into a better place and so it, it's you know really approaching it from that place of compassion rather than frustration and uh, one thing that i'd love to ask you about is like so when you first got into training and you know as you've been evolving as a trainer did you have this idea of like or even as a pet guardian, like, okay, this is what my pet should be doing. This is how they should be acting as a trainer. I do, like, as you said, it's like people expect like you are going to have perfect dogs. The more I've gotten into the, into training, even as a professional and even on, on like the, you know, the, the highest end of trainers or veterinary behaviorists, I, I've just, you know, I've developed a much more realistic and kind, compassionate expectation for other people, for myself. Like, has that evolved for you as well? Oh, totally. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I think the more advanced you get as a trainer, the more you realize you have still to learn. And 
learning doesn't always come from books, right? It doesn't always come from lectures and conferences. A lot of times the learning comes from our pets themselves. So with every new pet you bring into your life, whether it's a client's dog or your own pet, um, you're learning something new. And yeah, I totally had that, that expectation of needs to always heal, never can pull on leash, you know, really shouldn't stop and sniff. Just, just all of these things drilled into me from what I had read in my early days in the stone age of, you know, what it means to have a well-behaved dog. And I think, um, wanted to kind of underscore something that you had said there about being able to recognize progress. I think that is huge. That is a huge thing that a good trainer can do, can really break the behavior down into small steps and really uh, recognize when there's been progress made and help. We can help clients see that progress when they sometimes can't, you know, they're too in it sometimes and they're too in the moment and oh, he's still barking. And, and you're right, like journaling or taking notes or even having the trainer point out like, he is still barking, but remember he was barking 30 times a day and now he's barking two or three times a day. Like that's a huge improvement. So just being able to see that progress is really um, looking for progress in small steps, small places, small increments, and realizing that you know you are getting towards your goal, but it might not be an overnight process. It might not be a quick process, but really having that compassion toward them, I feel like is one of the things I would love clients to know that, you know, if your dog is making progress, you're doing it right. And, you know, you're doing a great job. And if they're not, that doesn't mean you're a bad trainer or a bad pet guardian. It just means you need to find another way. Like you need to try a different approach to what's been going on. So I think that really important point there about being able to recognize progress. Absolutely. And sometimes when they're so anxious, so stressed out, they just aren't in a good state to learn. It's like, like with us, when, for instance, my, my brother, Lex, who is producer of this show, he remembers back when I had this insane phobia of flying on airplanes, like, and you would try and reason with me and there's just no talking to me. It like, even months before I would just be stressing out and it was just a nightmare to fly with me. And even like, you know, I, I would try and they would give me, you know, call me medication or different exercises. Yep. Nothing, nothing really touched me because I'm in that really high stress state. And, you know, it's really being able to, you know, recognize, okay, that's that dog or that person is not in an ideal state for learning in that situation. You know, for me, it definitely took, it took time. It took having some positive experiences. It took, you know, a change in my mindset, uh, building that faith, kind of letting go of control. I think anxiety is really, you know, so much of that is is wanting this control. And it's it's all an illusion anyways. We never really truly have control. It's just what we have is anxiety, which is exactly what I had. And for me, it was just finally letting go of like, okay, I need to control everything. Like, oh my God, I and that's the scary thing with flying is you can't control it. And I, I think that, you know, being able to have trust is so key. And that's what I see with pets. Like, Today with this border collie Finn, who I've been working with for months, and he's come such a long ways. And for him to be able to go from as soon as he sees the vet staff, he's growling, he's lunging, he's snapping, you know, very scary looking to he comes into the vet office today and it's just full body wiggle, so excited to see me. He goes from, you know, trying to pull back uh, from going on the scale to he actually gets on there willingly. 
you know, with the vet staff, you know, we we took the we did a victory visit at a Fear Free Vet, which is helping to prepare him for what the actual vet visit will be. And we want to make those visits as similar to actual care as possible. And so for him today, we had the vaccinations on hand, the oral Bordetella, um, you know, for kennel cough on hand, if we were able to get there, but we we tried to take any pressure off of it. So I think that that's, you know, whether it's a vet visit or real life, like taking that pressure off, kind of meeting the dog where they're at, Today, having two different people in the exam room with him, so especially someone that was in a veterinary smock and both people had stethoscopes you know, on their shoulders, that was really scary for him. So it was different enough that, oh my goodness, his you know, normal full body wiggle, like flying up on his little, on his climb platform that he loves so much, all of a sudden he's more hesitant. So it's like, okay, this is the dog we have today. This is where we're gonna meet him at. Doesn't look like we're gonna be able to do all of his vaccinations, but what we can do, is you know see where he's at see what his fear anxiety and stress level is and see how we can help him to feel more comfortable by the end so you know for him it was doing some of his tricks it was just working on tiny bits of handling just doling out treats pairing the stethoscope with treats and then he gets to go home and we have a plan in place for the next time so you know potentially adjusting some of his medications being able to prepare him beforehand with some of his training and you know it's it's not pushing too far too fast and yeah definitely meeting the dog right where they're at and I, I think that that's so important because say that we were to progress and we were to still go in do the vaccination do the handling that's going to be so scary for him and it's going to push into the point where he probably is going to go back into that growling you know into trying to bite because he's so fearfully terrified for his life and i know that feeling from being on the airplane when you're in that state you just aren't even thinking you are not using your rational your rational brain you're just in survival mode and we want to keep pets from being in that and i think that's a big piece with when we are looking at behavior issues is looking at the emotional state of our pets and being able to help them if they are in that that point where they are so panicked or so upset that that or even in pain that it's going to be hard to reach them so it's so important to be able to really meet them where they're at there and give them the help that they need to to help them better succeed yeah i love that so really a great point there about a lot of times we try to teach them and they're simply not ready to learn. They're simply not in a state where they are even capable of learning. So, you know, if you're deathly afraid of spiders and I put you in a room full of creepy crawly spiders and then I try to teach you a math problem or I try to teach you, you know, even some basic piece of information, your brain is in survival mode. It's, it's in, oh God, how do I get out of these spiders? Like I'm going to die. And for some of these pets, they feel like they're going to die some of the time. So it's backing up from that and being able to, whether that is adding distance to the equation. So if it's a dog out on a walk and they are extremely anxious about seeing another dog, you may want to add, you know, are they successful at 50 feet away? What about 100 feet away? What about 200 feet away? Like meeting them where they're able to take treats and be successful and display calm body language. Those are the signs that let that let us know that they're okay to proceed with whatever's going on. Um, so really meeting them where they are. I had a question for you, Mikkel, actually. So I was, I was curious as we're talking about behavior and well-behaved, like how would you define well-behaved for your own dogs? Gosh, such a good question. And I, and I really see that somewhat differently, I think, for both dogs, but we'll just take Otis today since he's kind of been the star of, of the show in, in Brio. 
so for Otis, his version of well-behaved, I would say that he is he's almost pretty much there right now with where I want him to be, which for him, it's, you know, being able to have people come in the home and for him to not completely freak out. And for him, freak out is literally when we first got him going going from cowering on the floor and, you know, rolling over and just being so terrified, shaking, running away and actually going to the point of trying to bite people, you know, a lot of times aggression, you know, it's that underlying fear in almost all situations. There's that underlying fear and anxiety and stress. And for him, it definitely was. So, you know, we were at the point when, when we got him where, you know, there was that, that worry about him potentially biting someone and, you know, for him today to be able to have my daughter Reagan is 12, we want to be able to have her friends over. And so for him to be able to have her friends over, for him to be able to meet them and when it, her friends come over, that's when the really good treats come out. He goes through his whole repertoire of, of training and does all his tricks and he loves to be with Reagan and her friends. Like he just, he loves that time. And it's just so cool for me to be able to see him with them having fun, you know, having slumber parties where he's actually sleeping on top of, of some of Reagan's friends and, you know, to have him be at that point where before it just, he, it took him like days and days to really warm up to someone. Again, my brother Lex would know that as well. I remember first time, one of the first times that Lex was around him, you know, he, he went up Lex's arm like a corn cob with and like was and then um thankfully he inhibited his bite but i was like whoa i did not see that one coming um but that was in a car and lex was you know it looked a little scary for him because you know big jacket i wasn't there to greet him now i know okay otis is the type of dog like we just put him in a in a kennel in a in his little safe den when he travels in the car and, you know, that's not the place where he's going to meet people. That's not the place to have him greet his, you know, the places we have him greet, you know, maybe outside, maybe in, you know, having him do find it. So setting him up for success that way. And so I would say his version of well-behaved has really progressed. There are certain things like I would like more for him. So for instance, I would like to be able to not have the dogs jump up at all. That would be important for me, but it's unrealistic because First of all, when I go to see my dad and my mom in the summer at Almost Heaven Ranch, my dad is the worst. Yes, he's a veterinarian, but no, he has no self-control when it comes to not giving the dogs food from the table. And so my dad, even as much as I try and train my dad, it's absolutely impossible. Don't ever try and train your family. It's just, it's it's not even worth your, your breath there. And so unless I was sticking the dogs away, which would, would kind of be a pain, it's just like I've, I've resorted to the fact that, okay, dad's going to reward them for jumping up. Like that's going to happen. My daughter, Reagan, you know, she loves when Otis jumps up on her. She absolutely loves it. She, she just wants him to be like right there and to be almost like that, that, you know, that child that's just, you know, her, her little kid. And, and so one day Reagan was actually frustrated because she was in an all white outfit, all dressed up and Otis jumped up on her after being outside and he had kind of muddy paws. And I talked to her about this a lot because with him, I'll ask him to first do a sit and then I'll, I'll actually give him permission to jump up in my arms and he can, he can like super dog fly his little pug, Russell's Griffin peeking his body will just fly up in the air and jump in my arms. And so that's kind of his reward for sitting nicely. But Reagan, you know, at the same time is doing the opposite where she's just letting him jump up all, all the time. So I, I've told her, okay, Reagan, if you actually want him, you know, to sit, you need to really be working on this because you otherwise are kind of training him to actually be jumping up. But 
that day, you know, normally it doesn't matter to her, but that day it did matter to her because all of a sudden her white outfit is covered in muddy paws. And so she was frustrated, like, oh, it is. Oh my gosh. And I was like, Reagan, you can't be upset with him because you've trained him to jump up. He's doing what you've taught him to do. And so, you know, for her, I was like, you know, you need to make the decision. Okay. Is this something I want to work on? I'm like, I, it's only going to be so successful for me to be working with him. If you aren't on board, like, cause every, you know, dogs are learning 24 seven from every interaction, everything in their environment. And so even if one person is on board, if you have other people in your family who are just, you know, counteracting what you're doing, it's, it's going to hinder your progress. So it's it, a lot of it is also just getting people on board and realizing what's, what, you know, what is realistic for that pet. And so with Otis, for instance, uh, with me, I do want him to be able to sit nicely, wait. And then if, if I want him, then I can say, okay, jump. And he'll jump up in my arms and it's super sweet and super fun, you know, with Reagan, uh, because Reagan lets him jump up. She decided, okay, maybe, you know, I can't be mad at him. I'm, you know, she tried to do the, the teaching him to do other things, but she loves the jumping up. So she just inadvertently, you know, was reinforcing that. And so, um, you know, with, with her, with her friends, I can't expect him not to jump up. And in fact, I don't, I honestly don't even care in those moments with, with her friends, because what I care about the most and what she cares about the most is that he absolutely loves being with her friends. And so while he may not love every handyman that comes in the house and it's not probably worth the time to put in to get him used to everybody for those people that are going to be coming over to the home, you know, whether it's, you know, someone I'm dating, someone that, you know, any of Reagan's friends, our family members, you know, I would definitely want to put in that time to get him used to them. And, but yeah, again, it would be unrealistic to expect him to not jump up when he's excited and happy, you know, because Reagan's taught him that. And it would be unrealistic to expect him to just love everybody because, you know, going from, you know, really high fear, anxiety, and stress of new people and, you know, going into that immediate aggression, you know, it's unrealistic. He's going to love everyone, but I do want him to really love those people that are going to be coming over with frequency. So, so what yeah. about for you? So for me, it's funny you mentioned jumping up. I actually love when my dogs jump on me to greet me. And to me, that's a, that's a definitely a part of my version of well-behaved is jumps on me to greet me, you know, check that box off. So whenever I have a client who asks me, is it okay if the dog jumps up? I, I say like, absolutely. My dogs jump all over me. They, they climb on the furniture. Like it's a totally an individual thing. So for me, how I would define well-behaved is um, really important that the dog seeks my attention and, you know, kind of makes frequent eye contact with me. Um, I really, it makes me sad when I see the dogs who really don't, who couldn't care less if their person is around or not, doesn't, you know, doesn't bother to get up when they come through the door, you know, mm -hmm. is out not paying any attention whatsoever to their person. That just makes me wonder like, why, what's going on there? Um, I really love it. I really want my dogs to enjoy training. So it's really mm -hmm. important to me that they enjoy the training and both of them will, you know, enjoy the training so much that they'll drop whatever they're doing to participate in a training session. And that to me, I love that. Like I really, that says it speaks volumes about the kind of training that I do with them, that they're willing to drop whatever they're doing and come and say, what can I do for you? Um, so offering behavior kind of, you know, in search of reinforcement. So for example, for my dogs, they're both kind of sporting minded. Rio is, an agility dog. So, um, I'd done a lot of training with like novel objects and novel 
environments, novel surfaces. So it's important to me for her that she be comfortable in new environments and comfortable on new and weird surfaces that move underneath you. That might not be important to somebody who doesn't do agility with their dog. Um, and I, I certainly love it when my dogs, Mikkel, I think you can probably relate to this. You can always tell when a dog has had a lot of shaping training, like being able to um, interact with, when you put a novel object down in front of that dog, they're gonna sniff it, they're gonna paw at it, they're gonna be like, is it, they're gonna almost ask the question of the trainer, is it something to do with this box? What if I put my paw on it? What if I sniff it? Like, what if I roll it? Is that what you want? So I love the fact that the dogs are curious and really keen to train and really want to do that because it brings them joy and it feels and looks like a game from my perspective and from their perspective. And so I love that kind of playfulness too. That's another part, that's another component of what I consider to be well-behaved, like really playful, really enjoys the game, um, comfortable working in the presence of other people or other dogs. So, and also for, for my agility dogs, um, understanding directional cues, under being confident on different obstacles, so as you can see, you know, my list of well-behaved looks very different from your list of well-behaved and neither one of them is good or bad or right or wrong. And I feel like it's, it's up to each one of us to train whichever behaviors are important to us. And there's no, I guess one message I would love to kind of leave people with is that there's no predefined well-behaved dog, like for better or worse, they don't come with an owner's manual. So it's up to you to decide what you consider well-behaved and what you want your dog, what's important to your dogs. If you have children, you know, you want a dog who's able to be comfortable and confident around children. And um, if you're going to be working a dog or competing in a sport with your dog, then being around high distractions and big crowds are going to be important to you. If you are going to be doing therapy dog work with your dog, then being able to be calm and settle in the presence of just about anything is going to be really important to you or, you know, like most of us, you just want a family pet. Um, so just being comfortable and within their house and within their surroundings and being able to live a life as free from fear, anxiety, and stress as, as we possibly can make it. So if that means, you know, walking on certain routes or at certain times of day, or like you said, Mikkel, you know, it's not super important probably that they are okay with every single handyman that comes into the house or every single Amazon delivery that happens. That's not something that, you know, I need to really focus on. So what are the things? And for me, um, you know, as again, as being a member of the fear free team, really important that I'm able to clip my dog's nails without a lot of stress. So I put a lot of time into that from puppyhood on um, with them be just having them be comfortable with me handling their paws and pairing the nail clippers with treats many, 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 many times, cutting one nail at a time, you know, that really high value treats. That was super important to me because I know that so many dogs out there, unfortunately, a nail trim is just, it's a fight that doesn't need to happen because that dog is scared, just like you were on the, the plane at first, you know, that dog is scared for its life when we grab for their paws. So that's something that, you know, was really important to me that my dogs be able to handle things like that that need to get routinely done every couple of weeks like nail trims so 
that's kind of my, my list different from your list. And that's good. You know, that's okay. I love that. You know, one thing you were saying is sometimes people will have these expectations or these desires. Like I want my dog to be an agility dog. I want my dog to, I see that a lot, be a therapy dog. And in some cases it's really coming to the understanding of, you know, what is realistic for that dog? And is this something the dog is going to be happy and comfortable with? Because sometimes we have these expectations of our dog, whether it's like we get a certain breed or a certain type of dog, and we think, okay, I've had golden retrievers or I've had shepherds and they've, you know, they've, they've been this way and this is how I expect them to be. And, and this dog that we get is a little different than that. They, maybe they aren't as friendly. Maybe they, you know, are a little bit more reserved and, you know, it's so important to be able to find what is going to work well for that dog and being able to take away some of those preconceived notions or expectations and really seeing the dog for who they are and meeting them there, I think is really important as well. What do you think about that? Yeah, I agree. I, ha I do have a lot of clients who they had that, that golden retriever. And so they go out and get another golden retriever and surprise, it's not, it's not the same dog or, you know, they had an Australian shepherd. So they get out, go out and get another Australian shepherd and this one barks all the time, but the other one mm -hmm. didn't bark. So really looking at the individual dog, I have two border collies who could not be more different in terms of their personality. Um, one of them, Brio, the one we've been talking about is a master world champion cuddler. She loves cuddling. She loves hugs, which honestly, most dogs hate hugs. Like that, that's a, that's a great mm -hmm. way to, to stress out your dog is to go and hug it. But Brio loves it. She, she curls up into my lap. She cuddles with me. Blink, her brother, her older brother wants nothing to do with that. He is a worker. He is all business all the time. He is like, throw that toy for me, throw that ring for me. What can I do for you next? You know, he's the, the air quotes, typical, classic, hardworking, high drive border collie. And Brio is more of a cuddler, you know, she's more of a, like, this is, this is what I, I am excellent at. And, um, I think working with certain expectations is a, a great advice. So just looking at the individual dog, even if you do have two dogs of the same breed, like playing to their strengths and really, um, individualizing them because you may get a dog who is similar to the last one you had. And then it maybe end up being completely different. Like your, your guys, Otis and Indiana bones, um, both puggle mixes, right. Or both pug mixes, mm -hmm. but very different dogs, you know, and that's, and Extremely. you adjust your expectations. So yeah, I think that's an important point. So Lori, as we've been talking today, I keep having a question come back to me in my mind. And, and this is something I want to leave you with and for, everyone listening in to think about for yourself as well. So not only thinking about, you know, what it, what is it to be a well-behaved dog for our dog, but also like, what is a realistic expectation like for ourselves? Like, so going from that perfectionist mentality that I used to have where I expected so much, so much pressure on myself to like now just becoming, a, I would say a much healthier, much happier person as I've gotten older, it's, you know, thinking, okay, what, what helps me to be a, a well-rounded person, a happy person, a person that's, you know, in a good place. And so, I mean, if you feel up to it and I know I'm putting you on the spot and, and I'll do the same for myself because I've been really in our conversation. So I haven't really thought much about it for myself, but 
like what would be something for you that's like really being a well-rounded person? And, you know, how does that let deviate maybe from that perfectionist part of you that you had before? So I think, I don't know if necessarily this fits into well-rounded, but what I think about as successful in terms of dogs and training is I always want to be learning something. So I always want the version of me to be better than last year's version of me and better than the 10 year, 10 years ago version of me. So I always want the the next year of this dog's life to be even better than the previous year, because I've learned so much more and I've learned to kind of apply what I've, you know, what I know about fear, anxiety, and stress and what I know about training, which as you know, as a fellow trainer, it's an ever evolving field and mm -hmm. the, you know, it's science and we keep, we keep learning new and better ways of doing things. So to be able to keep up with that and always continue learning and, um, I always think about this too, as each dog gets a little bit better version of me than the previous dog mm. did. Like they, I love that. each dog, yeah, yeah. Each dog kind of is a part of, as long as I keep my streak going of having multiple dogs at a time, it's like each dog contributes to the, to the personality of the next dog. And they contribute to me as a trainer and as a human being and just as a person. So I never want to lose that desire to keep getting better and to keep learning. So that would be, that would be my answer, I guess. That's so good. I love that, Lori. I, th I think for me, one thing is like being really in the moment. I think for me, it's like so easy to be thinking, okay, this is my agenda. This is what I want to do today, or this is what I expect. And sometimes the animal that we get that day, when we're taking them out on a walk, if we're doing their bath, we're doing just, you know, taking them out in the yard to go potty, we may have a different version of our dog meet us that day, or, or I love riding horses. And so, you know, getting ready to ride all five of our horses this summer, you know, rather than going in with, okay, this is, this is my goal. This is what I want. It's like, I think for me, it's, it's healthier to really be more connected with myself and like thinking about, okay, this is how I'm feeling. If I'm starting to feel stressed, like noticing that. Cause I think before stuff would just stress would just compile and I would get to this really stress out point. And then that really goes on the dogs. I'm adding more pressure on myself, adding more pressure on the pet. And I feel like my, I'm my best training self when I am just in the moment and really in that place of Zen and that flow. And for me being with animals, that is like my flow and that's my joy. And I think when I get too upset or like, like really too hard on myself or too have too many expectations, I get out of that. I get out of that love and I get more into my head and I get into that stress. And I think, I think definitely being connected with myself, having compassion with myself and with the animals and, and just giving like myself that grace and the animal that grace. Like, I think I'm in a much happier place and, and in a place to better see the, the good that I can be rewarding for and, and building on that. So and I, I think animals respond so much to how we're doing. So, you know, whether we are stressed out and we're, we're feeling stressed by their behavior, the pets respond to that versus, okay, this is what's happening. Like, I'm going to do some deep breathing. Like I'm checking in with myself. I'm trying to, you know, adjust it, you know, even just my own posture or things like that. Animals can respond so well to that. And I think that that's, that's really my, my goal for me right now. So, so Lori, in any final words that you want to leave listeners with? Yeah, just just kind of a repetition of the fact that, you know, we have lots of choices on what we train our dogs or, or cats or any other pets to do, and especially how we go about training those. So 
really make good choices on behalf of your pets in terms of what do you think they would like to learn? What do they appear to be enjoying to learn? And if something isn't going well, you know, be ready, like you said, to live in the moment and adjust your training plan, adjust your expectations, like make good choices on their behalf based on what they're telling you would be my parting words. Thank you so much, Lori, for joining me today. I can't wait till our next trainer talk and you left me with lots of good things to be thinking about until the next time. Thank you, Mikkel. This was really fun and I'm also really looking forward to the next one. So got the wheels spinning in my head as well. Have a, have a great day, my friend. Thank you for joining us for Happy Paws. We hope you continue tuning in every two weeks as we explore more about your pets. On the next episode, we're joined by Michael Scascio, world-renowned trainer and expert in cases of canine aggression. We discuss the roots of aggression, why fear-based training can often worsen the behavior, and what you can do to help your dog live a life free of fear, anxiety, and stress. Make sure you subscribe to avoid missing out on any upcoming Happy Paws episodes. And if you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you took a minute and left us a review. For more content like this and much more, visit us at fearfreehappyhomes.com. Our music is by 310. That's the number 3, the word 1, and the word O. Follow them on Instagram at 310official and listen to them on Spotify or wherever else you find your music.